0: Hold on a second that guy isn't saying anything have you ever heard that one of the most annoying things about being a hardcore and metal fan is the unsolicited criticism you get from liking something that isn't the norm at least when I was younger it wasn't the norm I know nowadays deathcore bands can get like millions of streams overnight but I can tell you that when I was in high school That was very much not the case. When I would show people my favorite hardcore and metal records, the most common and annoying response was always, he isn't saying anything. And I totally get it. It all started for me with bands like Korn, you know, from last week's episode. Then that led to bands like Slipknot, and then I got really into Zayo, and so on and so forth. Until I was listening to shit that sounds like this. no secret that you have to go through a bit of a personal journey before you can start to appreciate music that to most people just sounds like straight up noise. And I've spent a good portion of my adult life defending that type of music to people and trying to show them what they need to be listening for or to give them the context that they need to appreciate it. And as long as somebody was actually willing to listen... I could explain most of the common complaints and give a thorough and thoughtful explanation of a song or an album's meaning. I can do this with just about every album in my collection. Except for one, Jane Doe by Converge. Jane Doe makes me ask the question, what do we do with bands where the noise is intentional and the lyrical meaning is purposely vague? I never really thought about this until I heard Jane Doe because despite this lyrical vagueness and the obtuse nature of the music itself, I still feel something when I listen to Jane Doe some kind of deeper meaning and so for this episode i decided to take on the task of trying to figure out exactly what i feel and what it means as a lot of you know i cut my teeth on heavy music in the christian hardcore and metal scene so a lot of the bands that i enjoyed when i was younger and still enjoy now include bands like zeo embodiment training for utopia Living Sacrifice, Norma Jean, and so on. And that's to say that at some point I started considering myself a bit of a scholar when it came to metalcore as a genre. So despite my actually believing that it all started with Zeo, eventually I got older and I expanded my musical scope to include bands that may or may not have been compatible with my worldview at the time. I realized that a lot of the Christian Hardcore I listened to was heavily influenced by a slew of other monumental heavy bands from the general or secular market. Bands like Earth Crisis, Botch, Dead Guy, Coalesce, Dillinger Escape Plan, Cave-In, and of course Converge. The revelation of Jane Doe came to me around the year 2006. By that time, the album was already five years old. It was already a staple in its genre, and it was lauded by everyone that I knew, at least everyone that knew what they were talking about, as a classic. My skeptical nature will typically cause me to look at any album described as a classic with the most critical of eyes. However, after listening to it for the first time on the way home from Slacker CDs and Games in 2006... I was speechless by the time I got home. So speechless in fact, that I immediately took the CD out of my car and ran into the house. But instead of picking up where I'd left off on track seven, bitter and then some, I felt the need to just start the whole thing over from the beginning when I got inside. So I laid back on my bed with my Sony Discman and matching Sony ear clip style headphones and listened to Jane Doe again from the start. And from the first time and the inevitable second and third and fourth times I listened to the album in its entirety, I knew that there was nothing that I could criticize. This album was as advertised, a classic, and it's been a staple in my listening rotation for the past 16 years. But despite my love for the music on the album, there's always been one thing that bothers me about it. I don't actually know what it means. I've always been really diligent in my music appreciation, and part of that appreciation includes having a working knowledge or understanding of what specific songs are about and what message or communication that they're trying to make with the listener. I think this is a holdover from my Christian metal days when I may have been required to defend a song title or some album artwork or an entire band to a concerned adult or pastor who was, you know, afraid of my well-being. And this mindset eventually seeped into my enjoyment of every kind of music. And I think it's natural to want to know everything about something that you have a passion for. But anybody who has experienced Jane Doe by Converge knows that this level of understanding is somewhat elusive. The reason is because the lyrics that are printed in the more artwork focused liner notes of the album are just snippets of what the actual lyrics of the songs are. Some of them don't match up at all. Sometimes there's more words printed for a song than are actually sang on the album. And this is also further complicated by the fact that Jacob Bannon's vocal delivery on this album, while being legendary and being some of my favorite hardcore vocals to this day, are almost completely unintelligible. I have sat there for hours with a pad and a pen and tried to write down some semblance of full lyrics for each song, but eventually I gave up because the message is clear. The lyrics and the message of this album are intentionally vague. It's just not what you're supposed to focus on. I was content with that until this week when I decided I wanted to try to have another shot at figuring out what it was about this album that was so compelling. So in preparing for this episode, I sought to combine my already strong familiarity with the music on this album with some fresh perspectives that could only be found by experiencing the entire thing from a variety of different angles, just to see if any differences presented themselves to me. So first, I listened to the album on Spotify on my bright yellow DeWalt Bluetooth speaker, which was included in my DeWalt Deluxe Toolkit that I bought in 2018, that I then had to repurchase in 2019 because I left my original DeWalt Power tool set in my work truck with the door unlocked and some poser stole it. Seriously, though, lock up your tools. People are going to steal them. Second, I listened to it on my JBL Bluetooth Pro earbuds that I received as a Christmas gift in 2022. Probably because people got tired of me blasting music out of a Bluetooth speaker at my desk at work. I listened to it a third time just from my standard CD copy. The one that comes with a cardboard sleeve on the outside... On my Sony CDP CE345 multi compact disc player, which was running through my Sony STR DE135 stereo receiver, which was then running to my stereo infinity speakers. I then listened to it again on CD in my dad's car, that I unfortunately have to borrow for the next few weeks until I can get a new car. And I listened to it on the way to and from work each morning. I listened to it again on my home stereo setup using my monolith. M565C closed back headphones. And I would have listened to it again on my 2LP 45 RPM limited edition vinyl clear gold reissue from Deathwish Inc. from 2010, but I sold that three years ago to pay some utility bills. And while all of these methods did present the album in several different enjoyable flavors, they weren't significantly different enough to give me any compelling insight on the album that I hadn't already gleaned from 16 years of listening to it. However, it was during this process that I unintentionally stumbled onto another variable that I had not considered. For a large portion of my album listening for this episode, I listened to the album by myself. By this stage of my life, I found that it's not really worth showing an album like Jane Doe to, for instance, a coworker. Although I have been known to play it when I'm in a situation where I'm in full control of the radio and just happen to be in the same car as my boss. But this week, in the spirit of this episode, I decided to listen to the album alone first, and then out loud, and intentionally within earshot of my coworkers, just to see how they would react to it. And I was delighted by doing this because seeing somebody else squirm to hard to digest music is about 90% of the reason I do what I do. However, what I noticed was that my anticipation of what their reactions were actually shifted my perception of the music in a really profound way it's like i was experiencing the album differently than i would have if i was listening to it alone and i was excited by the prospect of sharing the album with another person and whether their reaction was good or bad was irrelevant to me it was just this like elated feeling of knowing that somebody else was hearing what i was hearing but then that led me to be even more curious about how differently we were both hearing the same audio so of course i had to know what they thought about it and my co-workers had a variety of opinions ranging from dude that's some heavy stuff to man that is total chaos to this is upsetting to this is terrible and the most popular comment of turn that shit off i'm trying to do my work i shrugged most of these off but the most important thing was that they felt something from listening to jane doe And I realized that that feeling wasn't coming from just my excitement. It was coming from the album itself. Jane Doe sounds the way that it does because it wants you to share the experience with other people. Despite its rough exterior, Jane Doe churns and bubbles in such a way that anybody who approaches it is gonna be drawn to pay attention to it. Because despite the intentional vagueness on display on this album, it's still trying to communicate something to everyone who hears it. I just couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. I didn't have a cheat sheet in the form of lyrics or a fine-tuned enough ear to translate Jake Bannon's blood-curdling screams into reliable words and phrases. Since sharing the experience was the most lucrative lead I had so far, I decided to test this theory in a more controlled environment. So I picked up the phone and I texted my wife and asked her if she would be willing to watch a concert with me when I got home from work that night. And I stated explicitly that it was very important research for the podcast. And she agreed on the condition that we immediately switch to a sitcom of her choosing upon the conclusion of the concert. So for the occasion, I chose to pull up Converge's Jane live performance of Jane Doe in its entirety that they performed at Roadburn Festival in the Netherlands in 2016. The whole thing's on YouTube, you should watch it. And then for the rest of my work day, I listened to Jane Doe again in its entirety. And then I listened to the audio version of Jane live just to make sure that the live performance captured the same level of intensity and the overall vibe as the original recording. And since I was at work, I couldn't watch the video, but I found the audio recording portion to be satisfactory in delivering an authentic Jane Doe experience. So when I got home from work and after having dinner and putting the kids to bed, I triumphantly loaded up the Jane live video and waited for what seemed like an eternity for my wife to grab a blanket, make herself a cup of coffee and make the short journey to my basement studio, ready to watch this album performed live, that album that I couldn't stop talking about all week. I even let her sit in my comfy chair. We watched the band rip through concubine and fault and fracture with every ounce of intensity that was present on the original recording, which is a pretty admirable feat for 15 years later. When the band started playing distance and meaning, my wife commented at how tight of a band they were and how good the drumming was, and she commented that she didn't care for Jacob Bannon's yelling voice very much and that he sounded better when he was just doing his iconic hardcore screams. Now, since this was her first and likely last time hearing this album, I decided to let that blasphemous comment go. However, as the set went on, her comments got more interesting. She was hyper-focused on Jacob Bannon's stage presence. And what she at first described as entertaining and a good showman soon turned into comments about how his movement on stage was incredibly artful and even graceful. She commented that she enjoyed the dynamic shift into Hell to Pay, and that even though it was still a tight song, it was much more atmospheric than the songs that came before it. She said she enjoyed the artwork that was displayed behind the band during the whole concert, and that the whole thing seemed very art-focused, which also included the movement and dancing that Jacob Bannon was doing all over the stage. She commented that she found the dissonance quote-unquote not as annoying as the other bands you listen to, which I took as a compliment. And she commented that she enjoyed the atmospheric clean vocals on the song Jane Doe at the end. And overall, her thoughts were that it was very artful and very well done, and it was enjoyable to watch. And although some of her overall positivity may have been influenced directly by the promise of watching something she actually wanted to watch in a few minutes, I'm going to go ahead and just make up a number right now and say that only influenced what she said by about 15% because she enjoyed it enough to sit there and talk with me about it for at least 10 minutes after it was over. And this was all the confirmation that I needed to prove my hunch that Jane Doe desires to be shared with other people, to really solidify the experience, to the point where it's almost a crime to keep Jane Doe to yourself. But despite this, after she went to bed, I committed that crime, and I stayed up late and watched Jane live again. And then I actually fell asleep to the video that auto-played after that, which was the Making of Jane Doe at Berkeley College of Music video from 2013, just to glean as much context from this record as humanly possible. But whenever I woke up the next morning, I felt that that still wasn't quite enough context. So I decided the only true way I could get more context was to listen to Converge's pre- and post-Jane Doe albums, When Forever Comes Crashing, and You Fail Me. I started off the day listening to When Forever Comes Crashing on CD while driving my dad's Mazda Tribute to work. And then I listened to it twice at work, one time on my JBL earbuds, and then again on my DeWalt Bluetooth speaker. When Forever Comes Crashing hits like a blunt-forced instrument. The physical guitar chug present on this record is comparatively heavier than it is on Jane Doe. And when listening in the car and in earbuds, that's really noticeable. But when I listened to it on the Bluetooth speaker, I kind of didn't notice a difference in guitar sound. So it's kind of wild how much nuance can actually be lost when you're listening to a single speaker versus a stereo setup. But what I was looking for with When Forever Comes Crashing was some hint or semblance of the experimentation and artfulness that you can find on Jane Doe. And I can happily say that I can certainly hear some of that experimentation. Converge has never been a fan of traditional song structures, and that blatant disregard is fully present on When Forever Comes Crashing. I notice on this album that Converge is playing around a lot with tempo and quiet and loud dynamics to keep the songs from just being straight on rippers. This is both a good and a bad thing. And while I appreciate the non-conventional approach to song structure, I think this record is so much better as a straight hardcore record than an experimental one. The guitar tone's just too heavy. You just, it's just gotta be kill, kill, kill. All of that said, When Forever Comes Crashing is still a fantastic hardcore record that brings a little bit more to the table than a straight up slaughter fest. But, but I, I kinda wanted a straight up slaughter fest by the time I was at the end of it. After I was done slurping down all that When Forever Comes Crashing had to offer, I pulled up the original version of You Fail Me, not the Redux, not that there's anything wrong with the Redux. So, you know, before you start typing up that email, just calm down and hear me out. I, I know that the Redux sounds better, it has, it has a better mix. You can you can read about it. It's, it, it sounds better. But I just wanted to experience You Fail Me as somebody would have after buying it as a new release after having already been a fan of Jane Doe. And You Fail Me is incredible in its own right. It's a much more directly emotional album than When Forever Comes Crashing. And even Jane Doe, it's got a lot more of a blunt bottom end too. It is kind of funny because I feel like the album that came before Jane Doe is heavier than Jane Doe and the album that came after Jane Doe is heavier than Jane Doe. And I found it interesting that When Forever Comes Crashing makes me want to mosh in righteous anger while You Fail Me makes me want to mosh while I reflect on all of my past mistakes. And while the structure of each song is less experimental overall, for Converge at least, the dynamic shifts here take on a far more emotional tone than they did on the last two albums. I really liked You Fail Me. I liked it so much that I... Kind of wondered if I should have been doing this episode on that album. So I decided to go back and listen to Jane Doe again and then still not really satisfied with the order in which I listened to all of it, I decided to listen to all three albums again in chronological order. And what I found is that When Forever Comes Crashing represents an underdevelopment of the band's artistic and emotional impact and succeeds more comfortably when it's just being a good hardcore record. And by contrast, You Fail Me represents an overdevelopment of the band's artistic and emotional impact. And it strives to pull on too many different strings at once, which creates a less than consistent experience. And with all of that said, please understand that I don't think that either one of these records are bad. They're actually quite good, but neither of them is Jane Doe. But they are some pretty rock solid pillars for Jane Doe to stand on. For those of you who are listening who just clicked on this podcast to hear a journalistic review of the album, here it is. Jane Doe balances artfulness, energy, and aggression evenly between those two pillars. Concubine and Fault and Fracture establish the ground rules of extremity that you can expect to hear on this album. Distance and Meaning combines that aggressive and playful hardcore with a sense of melody that is still deeply intense and dissonant. And this creates something of a mostly bitter musical smoothie that has an occasional hint of a sweet treat every now and again. Once the album establishes that melody is possible, we ease into the more subdued hell to pay, which starts off mostly friendly but has a hint of building discontent that subtly shifts into a deafening rage that eventually sets us back to our starting Sonic location with Home Wrecker. The broken vow starts off mostly the same, but then adds a layer of atmospheric sadness in the form of these ethereal clean vocals before breaking back into such a profound aggression that that energy boils right over into the minute and a half long bitter and then some. Heaven in Her Arms continues the speedy assault for approximately 2 minutes and 38 seconds before it forces an abrupt tempo shift on us that continues to slow the train down to prepare us for the launch into Phoenix in Flight. And that song starts off mostly forlorn, but with this tiny glimmer of hopefulness that naturally builds to a positive and triumphant conclusion. And it truly does simulate the feeling of an actual flight in open sky. Only Converge can make Dissonant Metalcore sound triumphant. But that triumph is pretty short-lived because we are very quickly brought crashing down into the Earth with the frantic and violent Phoenix and Flames. We don't get much time to dust ourselves off either before Thaw forces us to start running back into the chaotic fray and this is the last truly devastating moment on the album. The 11 minute, 33 second title track, Jane Doe, ends the album using churning dissonant riffs with a hint of melody and some atmospheric clean vocals and these tastefully done tempo shifts that slowly build an intensity and actually starts transitioning into a very epic album closer. And it's bar none, my favorite album closer in my entire CD collection. And it was at this point in my analysis that my resolve started to slip. I looked back at what I wrote in this script and despite saying a lot of words and making a lot of statements, I didn't really feel like I was any closer to figuring out what Jane Doe actually means to me. In past episodes of the podcast, I've relied heavily on my own memories and past experiences to flesh out what a record meant to me historically or even emotionally. And as I've stated plenty of times in this episode already, I definitely feel something when I listen to Jane Doe but I don't have a huge story or a period in my life to connect with it. But once I got onto that train of thought, I realized that the reason I haven't connected Jane Doe with any specific period of my life is that I have literally been listening to it regularly since I first bought it 16 years ago. It wasn't that it wasn't connected to a specific period of my life. It was connected and associated with all of it. This record has always been available to me as an emotional support, as a musical support. It's kind of like an old friend who I've kind of taken for granted. It's always been there, and it continues to be there. So if that's true, then why have I always been unable to decipher the album's true meaning? And it's because I was looking in the wrong direction the entire time. Traditionally, I'll look for meaning in the lyrics. I'll look for the circumstances that led up to those lyrics being written. In a weird way, it's like I can only truly relate once I've put myself in the shoes of somebody who I don't even know. And I think all music fans do this to a degree. And all it ended up taking was a really focused look at the album cover that laid it all bare. It absolutely doesn't matter what the factual origin of the story is. It was never about that. What is a Jane Doe? A Jane Doe is an unidentified person who absolutely has a very factual origin story that's hidden and it may be impossible for anybody to actually know. Now does this make Jacob Bannon's actual lyrics and meanings for these songs worthless? Absolutely not. But maybe he did that part of it for himself and not specifically for my entertainment. The word that my wife kept saying when watching Jane live with me was artful, artwork, work of art, 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 art. Jane Doe isn't an album that I pull my experiences from. It's an album that I'm supposed to fill up with my experiences and my emotions. The album is a blank canvas. It's a tool for listeners to use to create whatever work of art they want to create out of it. And I think that's really cool because it's not just a one way communication like most media is. Jane Doe is an invitation for collaboration. The song titles are placeholders for whatever emotion or experience that you want to attach to them. All of us know the pain of a broken vow. We've all been bitter and then some. We've all experienced fault and fracture. We've all been a phoenix in flight and a phoenix in flames. So instead of trying to tell the story of this album, I think the whole point is that we would use this album to tell our story. So tell me, dear listener, what's your story with Jane Doe? Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and if you guys enjoyed this podcast, please make sure that you are subscribed to it. You can listen to this podcast literally on any major podcasting app that exists out there. I don't know about some of the more obscure ones, but if I'm not on a podcast app that you like to use, just let me know and I'll try to get the podcast on there. If you guys have questions for me, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com, or you can follow me on all of the various social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But the quickest way to get a hold of me, if you just want to hang out and share memes and stuff, is my Discord server. I'll put a link in the show notes that'll invite you to the DFT Dungeon Discord server. And I hope to hear from you and hang out with you there very soon. But if not, that's okay too, because... You will see me here again next week.